not quite dead. A gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies. And sometimes we just keep it shallow. I'm your host, Megan. I'm Kate. Get ready for all the spoilers. Yeah, you've mentioned that. <laughs> I think that the ending of this movie, um, I just am so aligned with like Danny as a character. I'm like, I'm rooting for her so much this whole movie that even though it's probably not an ideal situation for her to be in, I'm still like, she seems like she's in a good place. <laughs> and that makes me really happy. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that last moment where she's smiling at the camera. It's funny because we're already talking about the ending, but um, you know, and she's she just looks so happy and fulfilled. I think mm-hmm. that is really driving home that line. You know, this is home. Danny is home. Yeah, Ugh, I get like goosebumps thinking about it. And I know the ending of the movie is what's iconic about the movie at this point. Um, when people talk about Midsommar and they use imagery for it, it's always Danny in the flower regalia. She's got the full flower crown and the floral, full, heavy flower dress. And um, with that look on her face of just like total transformation. And I think that it's, it's incredible. The last time I was watching it, I looked at Mike and I just said like, Ari Aster, when filming Florence Pugh's face yeah. um, at the end of the movie, he must have been so thrilled, so thrilled that her face is so emotive. And like, he's just able to capture the, the change from like grief to like acceptance and joy on her face. It's just so amazing. She is an exceptional actress. And there's a lot of, um, British actors in this, actually. I was surprised. They're so good. (laughs) Her and Mark and Christian, they're all British actors. Well, Christian is Irish, but... They have such great accents, and the the acting in this movie is great, and I just love to look at this movie. Like, this movie is, like, such... It's such, like, a little treat for the eyes. Like, this whole thing, especially once they get to Sweden... And it's so colorful and vibrant and um, the kind of beauty of this rural commune and their hand embroidered clothing and everything. It's just so great. I love it. When did this movie come out? This movie came out in 2018. So it's pretty recent. Man, it doesn't feel that recent anymore to me. Probably because we've seen it so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels very comfortable now. <laughs> like a, a classic that I turned to. The beginning of the movie, I find like almost impossibly hard to watch because of how horrible it is for Danny. There's something about Florence Pugh's performance, the writing, what the movie's about that makes me empathize super, super deeply with Danny. And so seeing her at the beginning of the movie is really hard. And then um, once she kind of gets to Sweden and starts getting kind of embraced by this community, I'm just like, oh, that's right. This is a movie about a woman coming home. 
<laughs> and yeah. it makes me feel good and I like it. <laughs> yeah. What she has to face in the beginning just feels so overwhelming. I, I can't fathom having to deal with it. Uh, and on top of that, having Christian as a boyfriend, it just seemed terrible. I really did relate to her as well. I had a, not, I wouldn't a, definitely not a similar experience, but I, I was definitely involved in a relationship way longer than I ever should have been. Um, so that was really something I could connect with in, in this movie, how she really felt, you know, he's all she has and basically bends over backwards for him the whole time. We're really like starting to get into the weeds of the character. Did you want to talk about, I know I'm like so excited to talk about this movie. Did you want to talk about any of the specs? I mean, really high level. This was Ari Aster's, this was his second feature length film. His first one was Hereditary. So we've got a nice little dual Ari Aster um, double feature in this season, which is cool. Um, he had Hereditary came out in 2015, and then he followed it up with Midsommar in 2018. Like, first two feature-length movies, incredible. And the budget was $9 million, and it made 47 Yes. So pretty solid. It's one of the few horror movies that's over two hours long that I, like, love every second of. Um, I, as we all know, am a huge advocate for shorter horror movies. Um, but this one is just, like, a beast for the eyes and it's so it's so juicy and um I know there's a director's cut which I for having loved this movie so much I feel so bad I haven't actually seen the director's cut well to be fair I haven't seen the whole director's cut either we're gonna have to do that on our next gal pal weekend together Mm -hmm. um but I did there was a particular scene that I wanted to watch um before this recording that we can talk about later um, that did add a little bit more to the story and kind of help tell a little bit more about one of the characters that gets it. So we can get, we can cover that when we get to it for sure. Well, the story opens with a really cool painting that uh, I hadn't spent much time looking at before, you know, studying it for this episode. Um, so I paused it and was kind of just taking it all in. Um the paintings are are very pagan, and uh, you it's like a motif throughout the whole movie. You, you see all of these really beautiful hand-painted icons, runes. Um, it's like visual storytelling without words. It's used uh, to, to kind of foreshadow stuff that's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so we get this really great opening painting, and it basically tells the story of the film. I love it. I love that the the film is just so bare about what's going to happen from the opening scene to um, of Danny and like the horrible tragedy that happens to her family through her and her boyfriend and his friends traveling to Sweden. And then you see like little scenes of the rituals that they go through um, all the way to, to the very end of the movie. I think it's, it's really clever and, I had caught some things before on previous views, but I actually paused it and like really, really looked at it this time and trying to absorb everything. And it's just kind of neat how how much they actually fit into this painting. Yeah, it's very Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. Gives away the ending a little bit. Yeah, so much irony there too, because you look at it and um, without the knowledge of what happens in the film, you're just like, 
it's like an overload. Like your brain can't, your brain can't take it all in. And then after you've seen the movie a couple of times, you go like, oh, that's so interesting. And there's all of this, like, there's a, a small scene of the townspeople welcoming the four of them in and the townspeople are holding alternating cups and skulls and the number of skulls that the villagers are holding are the number of outsiders who end up dying in the movie. Mm. So just like super small details like that, um, that it's just so thoughtful and like so interesting. Yeah. And then we see more of this as the movie goes on. They, they do some focal points where they stop and focus on a painting on the wall and you know that that's coming up next. Like they do the bear with with the fire and they mm-hmm. have one. I think they uh, they feature, do they feature the sex scene at one point? They have, I don't know if they do like a big like yeah. pause onto it, but he, Christian is in that room with the matriarch. And I think that there are allusions to the sex scene on the walls of that room. And it's just the thing that like really sticks out to me is that this is a community that is so based around ritual that they document their rituals and yeah. their, their rituals are inevitable. Like it is the time of Midsommar. And so they are going to be doing all of their traditions and nothing is going to stop their traditions. It doesn't matter who's there, who's not there it's going to happen. And so I like the like feeling of inevitability baked into the fact that they carve or paint these things throughout their village. Yeah. My favorite drawing focus is when we see the love story, Mm -hmm. uh, the love potion when we're, and we see it backwards because you're looking at it from behind. It's on this cloth that's hanging out to dry and the camera pans behind it. And so you're seeing the story backwards. And as you go through the the backwards stages of the story, it somehow becomes more horrifying. <laughs> um, you, you see like what is involved in this love potion and it involves like pubic hair and like <laughs> menses. It's really disgusting. <laughs> it's so gross. And like, I love that they look at it and they're kind of like, huh. And then they like walk away and it's like, you should pay attention to these things. Like actually like stop. And um, I love how this movie is so funny. Like this movie just like really likes to make fun of American tourism. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that people are just generally like, huh, that's weird. And then they just move on rather than like (laughs) stopping to think about what is this horrifying thing I just looked at. Or it's like Mark peeing on that old dead tree and not giving Ugh. it a second thought. Like, oh my God, dude, be careful. <laughs> These know. people love all this shit. I know. Ugh. So after the painting, we uh, jump into the movie. We jump into, I, I almost think of this as like a prelude to the actual meat of the movie. But it opens yes. to this very dark, dark and sad and cold environment. It's winter. Um, in the town where Danny lives and the camera pans to uh, her family. But it's it's all darkness, which is really interesting because the rest of the movie is going to be the total opposite. Yes, it really is. Like the city, it's, it's a city and it's winter and it's dark out and you just kind of feel this like 
claustrophobia. Like everything is inside. Um, it's in Danny's apartment or in her parents' house or in the uh, like pizza joint that Christian and his friends are at. And I think that that kind of claustrophobic environment is really effective for the total emotional horror that Danny's about to go through. Danny is is freaking out because her bipolar sister is sending cryptic messages and Danny really only goes to her boyfriend Christian for support and we we get to know Christian in the early in this you know first act and he is a douche oh my god he sucks he's the worst and I think that that's (laughs) this characterization is so effective because I feel like we all know this type of shitty man. Like we all know either this archetype of terrible man, or we've dated or been adjacent to someone who's like this, someone who will say one thing to your face. And then when they're with their friends, will say something totally different. Um, Danny is just looking for some kind of validation from him that what she's getting from her sister is not normal. And he's got his friends in his ear telling him like, you got to break up with her. Like it's not worth it. Go sleep with someone else. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. But then when he's on the phone with her, he's like, he's really minimizing her feelings. He's like nice to her, but he's minimizing her feelings. He's awful. Yeah. It's, and it's like it, if he was just mean to her, at least it maybe it would be easier for her to walk away. But he's just nice enough where she can't quite do it. You know, she feels bad. She she apologizes to him for having these emotional needs. I hate it's awful. That. I hate that. It like it is a thing that I think in watching this movie, it's really made me realize that it gets under my skin when people are in a relationship where they feel like they can't be emotionally honest because the other person is going to make them feel bad for having real emotions. Like it kills me and it makes me so angry. It makes me so mad at Christian. It's very well written because I hate this character. Yes. Yes. I, I love how they juxtapose her talking to her friends and him talking to his friends. Because her friend is like, hey, you need to dump this guy because he doesn't care about you. And she is just making up every excuse to show how it's not his fault. Where Christian's talking to his friends and they're like, you need to dump her. She sucks. She needs to talk to a therapist and not you. And he's like, well, it's, you know, it's not so bad. Like he's he's trying to like, they're both doing this weird thing where they're talking themselves into staying in this shitty relationship. And Kate, I, I can relate to this so hard. I, I mean, this reminds me of, like I said, like this high school relationship I had that went on for so much longer than it should have. We were definitely Mm -hmm. not right for each other. And we just kept, kept at it and made each other miserable for so long. And I just was like, watching this thinking about that and like oh my god I'm so mad at both of you I hate you guys like break (laughs) up just break up It, it is really hard to watch and the absolute gut punch is that Danny's right 
like her gut instincts about her sister, Terry, potentially doing something terrible was totally founded. And she had talked herself into thinking that things were okay because she didn't want to bother Christian. She didn't want to keep calling him because she was embarrassed. And then she gets the call that Terry has killed herself and her parents in the most bizarre way. It is really weird. She essentially um, does, is it like carbon monoxide? Yeah. Yeah. Like she floods the house with carbon monoxide and then tapes the tube to her freaking mouth. Yeah. It's just, it's so dark. It's really dark. And Danny's grief is probably one of the best parts of this. I don't want to say it's the best part of this movie, but her emotional reaction just feels so raw and so real. It's this in hereditary, you know, when um, Tony Collette's crying about Charlie that these, these horrible heaving sobs and just, you can just see her wanting to die. You know, Mm -hmm. she's so miserable and stuck with Christian now because he's going to stay with her out of guilt. And it just sucks. It's just awful to watch, but man, is it good? It is good acting. I know. Ari Aster really knows how to get that kind of like super raw emotional performance out of people. And you've got, um, you've got her like heaving on her couch in like, the type of grief that no one can imagine. And Christian is like shell-shocked. He has no idea how to even begin to comfort her. Um, and he's not emotionally prepared to. He he was on the verge of like considering breaking up with her. Um, his friends were encouraging him to. And now he's like, you just see it. You see it on his face that this guy is not getting out of this relationship anytime soon. Yeah, he's stuck. And he's got this trip to Europe planned um, that he hasn't even told her about. He kind of like, she kind of like finds out about it accidentally at a party. You know, it wasn't really something she knew about. And she's like, oh, oh, you're leaving. Like, you didn't tell me. (laughs) And he makes her feel bad. He He gaslights her into thinking that she's like hurting his feelings by even asking him why he's going on a trip without her when it's like they've been dating for almost four years. She's been through so much trauma and he's hiding this trip from her. And he does that shitty thing where he's like, well, we're thinking about going. I don't really know if we're going. I haven't really decided yet. And then in the course of like 10 minutes, she's like, you have a plane ticket though. Like it just like, he just keeps trying to lie his way out of it. And when she finally gets to a point where she's like, but you're not like being honest with me, then he's like, then he's like, I'm just going to leave. Like he just stonewalls yeah. her. Yeah. And she, cause he knows that that's the thing that's going to make her. She's Shut so, up. she's so <laughs> codependent. She's so aggressively codependent that him threatening to just like leave her apartment makes her say like, I'm sorry, I was in the wrong here. I should never ask you to do this. And I'm just like, I want to shake her. I want to just be like, you deserve literally anyone else in the world. I want to like, yeah, I want to like go and rescue her so badly. Like 
slap her out of it. Like, look, he's going to leave and you and I are going to stay home and do crafts together and watch sad movies and <laughs> feel better. Like, I just feel so awful for her in this moment. And it's so relatable. Um, and Christian, it, okay, so he is a shitty boyfriend, but he's also a shitty dude friend. Like, He's the worst. <laughs> he's the worst to his friends because we see them argue and then it's like next day or whatever. Because the trip is in two weeks, of course. And so we see him with his friends and he's like, oh, by the way, Danny's coming today as she's ringing the doorbell. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I invited her to Sweden. But don't worry, she's not coming. Except she said she does want to come, but I'm going to make sure she doesn't come. Oh, and also it was your guys' idea to bring her here. Oh, my God. Yes, he just keeps piling it on. I'm just like, what are these guys doing with him? I know. Why does anybody want to spend time with him? He's a leech. He's like one of those people who just like gloms on and doesn't let go and makes everything everyone else's problem. And I think that he just gets into the situation where he's like, oh, I can just, if I just work fast enough, Like I can cover up all of my shitty behavior. Like I can still look like a good boyfriend um, to Danny because he's like, oh, in this circumstance, I just need to look like a good boyfriend. Whereas in another circumstance, he might feel like, oh, I need to look like a good friend. So whoever he needs to throw under the bus to look like a good person in the situation, he will do so. Yeah, he's awful. I feel like I can talk for an hour just about how horrible Christian is in this movie. Yeah. I mean, well, there's more coming, as we know. (sighs) Yeah. So they're going to Sweden because Christian and Danny, which they don't really talk about this explicitly, but it is mentioned. Danny is also in grad school, um, but she's taking a break for the rest of the semester because of um, her horrible family tragedy. And Um, The guys um, are all also in grad school. One of them is a foreign exchange student named Pele. And Pele has uh, a community that he's from in rural Sweden. And they do a midsummer festival every year. And um, all these guys are anthropology majors. And one of them is doing uh, his thesis on, uh, it's like rural community festivals or something. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, I'll go here and view it. And I might include it in part of my thesis. And so that's kind of the premise for um, for how these guys are all going to be going to Sweden. Yeah, except I don't think Mark gives a shit about all that. I think he just wants to get some tail. Oh, for sure. Mark is, um, he's the fool. Like he's yeah. like just totally the clown. He's He's also kind of the worst. I think that of the three guys... Um, not including Pele, but the three just like American grad student guys. Josh might be the best, but he's also kind of the worst. <laughs> well, none of them really seem to give a shit about how Danny feels, but also they're not dating her. You know, they're not stringing yeah. her along. They're they're kind of just trying to be pleasant because Christian doesn't know how to handle his own shit. Yeah. You know, like they're not, they're not, they're not great, but they're not trying to be something they're not yeah I think that with Josh okay so I think like kind of the archetypes that they've got for these guys are like Mark is the fool and you see this is the painting in the beginning too Mm -hmm. because they're painted like this so Mark is painted with the jester cap 
And then Josh has painted carrying a stack of books. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, the intellectual. intellectual. Yeah. And the thing that like is so funny about Josh is that he's always trying to, to guess why something is happening or to try and preempt like, like, oh, you're wearing a dress. Um, This other really small tribe also wears this dress. And it's like, these people in rural Sweden who don't even have phones don't give a shit about this like rural tribe in Indonesia. What are you talking about? Like, like, why are you always trying to connect it back to your thesis? It's like he only is interested in like advancing his thesis or being the smartest person in the room. Yeah, he you can tell like later on in the movie when he meets all these folks, every time he brings something like that up, they kind of just look at him like, okay, like, why are you? Why are you like talking about me like I'm a subject in a history book? Like yeah, this is my he, culture. Like yeah, he doesn't treat them like people. He treats them as like subjects for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there is one nice guy in the bunch, as as it's presented. Anyway, <laughs> we find out later what's really going on. But Pele is actually nice to Danny, and he he talks to her like he's excited for her to come. Mm-hmm. on this trip because I think he is excited for her to come yes he, he knows it's gonna happen <laughs> exactly <laughs> and and you know it's it's funny because the first time you watch this you're like oh somebody's gonna be nice to Danny <laughs> how great I know and he um he like takes a moment to like try to genuinely connect with her which is very in line for the rest of the movie but he tries to tell her like I'm very sorry what happened to you. I can empathize with you because I went through something similar. And Danny just shuts that down. She is not about her emotions. And she is at a point where every time she has this overflowing of emotion, she has to be alone. She excuses herself. She tries to get out of the room so that she can go sob in peace. She stifles her cries and hides. And it's, she hides. It's very sad. Yeah. I love only, how they switch. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, she only knows how to grieve alone. It's like she's not comfortable grieving in front of anyone else. Yeah. I love how they uh, visually switch this scene to the next act. You know, she goes, runs into the bathroom to cry after she has this interaction with Pele and when she goes into the bathroom, it turns into the bathroom on the plane where she is also crying. Yeah. And that just, <laughs> she is miserable. Yeah, It just feels like that's her life. Her life is just moments in between sobbing inconsolably alone. Oh, it's so and sad. It just feels like the weight of her grief is, um untenable like she's not able to just carry this and I think that because she has to grieve alone she's not able to process her grief because she hides it and she shoves it down and she just yeah she just can't handle it well they arrive in Sweden and it's the total opposite of the first act it is so blindingly bright and just lovely everywhere Land of the Midnight Sun. Yeah. I love it. It's so colorful. It's not winter. 
it's um, this bright, bright green. And I love that when they get to the outskirts of the commune, um, you know, Pele, he just kind of like parks the car, <laughs> like in the field. In the middle of some random field. <laughs> They're just in the middle of a random field. And um, he knows everyone. And they're like, hey, it's so good to see you. Let's do some mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the first time I saw this, like just this scene alone really made me uneasy. The thought of driving to the middle of some, you know, new foreign country to me and being in just a placeless place and no buildings around, no street signs, no other people. And now you're doing mushrooms with a bunch of strangers. It just totally freaked me out. Yeah. And it's not like a low commitment either. Mushrooms are a long trip. And so I was like, what is the expectation here? Are they just like on a pit stop? Are they supposed to continue on into the town? Like what is going on here? But they do mushrooms and um the visuals of the movie just like totally turn and like every time and like mushrooms are such a big like motif in this movie Mm -hmm. Um, and the visuals like that accompany it are just so like swirls and like the pulsing trees in the background and just like it really orients like Danny and the characters to the front of it but if you look at any of the environment around them everything is like crawling or moving everything has like this kind of moving breathing texture to it yeah and I get the sense that the rest of the movie there's like some of this just constantly in their system like they're always being served some tea or something to smell or something to eat that that has something in it that induces these effects and so the rest of the movie it's like it's hard to say if they are are themselves or are really aware of of everything going on, which I think is on purpose, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. it it the movie totally shifts here. I think the scene of them doing mushroom starts off so funny, um, because it does because Mark is like not having a great trip. Um, he's very paranoid and like very concerned about what everyone else is doing. Yeah. He's so bossy. He's like, you lay, everyone lay down. I need you to lay down. (laughs) And, um, very concerned that it's nighttime and is bright like the noon sun. Right. Yeah. It's so bright outside. Um, I love that Pele is just like, don't worry, guy. He's so like soothing and calm he's like he's like he's like feel yourself connect to the earth feel the trees feel everything he's just so comfortable he's so comfortable in this space and Danny seems like she's so susceptible to what people suggest like when he starts saying like feel yourself like become connected to nature she like looks down at like her hands and her feet and she starts to see grass growing through her body like she's just so attuned to what other people will say Mm-hmm. yeah and so she kind of she kind of can't handle it Danny kind of takes off looking for some solitude because she's flipping out a little bit and she thinks she hears people laughing at her 
So she finds this little shed, runs in, and of course is going to go have herself another good cry. And she looks in the mirror and sees this like dead face looking at her. It's really creepy. And they've done a couple of interesting things with mirrors so far in the movie. I don't know if you caught that, Kate, but like the first third of the movie, a lot of these scenes take place looking through a mirror. Like she's Mm -hmm. talking to Christian and you see him in a mirror. You don't really see him. Or, you know, when she walks in on the friends, she uh, you see her in the mirror talking to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see this dead face in the mirror. I feel like there's something going on there. Like with death and her and yeah. What do you think? I feel like it's her inability to be face to face with the people in her life. I think that there's when she's talking to people through a mirror or when they're like mediating our experience with the characters through a mirror, it's like putting a natural separation between them, especially up to this point in the movie, because when they get into uh, the actual village, they, that, that goes away. There's no mirror speak anymore. And I think it's because it's a contrast to being in the village where people want to be very directly face to face with each other or like physically touching each other or very close to each other. There's always this degree of distance between Danny and everyone else. So we're always seeing her through a mirror or she's talking to someone in a mirror up until this point. Yeah. And we get to the village. It's so cool how they enter through this big like sun arch. It's Mm -hmm. so lovely. And there is just love everywhere. Like everyone is a brother or a sister or a grandma. They share all their food. They share their music together. Um, and and Pele just refers to everyone as his family, which is yeah. such a stark contrast to Danny's situation. Yeah. And they are very physically affectionate. Um, the men are physically affectionate with each other. They, they hug very tightly and they you just feel the joy from them to see each other like when um father odd the the patriarch of the village um greets pele like they grasp each other and you can feel that they missed each other and i just feel like you don't see men in america at least or maybe in more like modern society like show that they love each other in that way. And it's just so like startling and refreshing to see that. Yeah, it feels really nice (laughs) when they first get to the village. Everything's lovely and friendly. Yeah, I like how quickly they establish so many things when they first get into this village. Um, You know, just tiny little details. Father Odd, the patriarchy, he says, hello, hello, hello to the three American men. And then he looks directly at Danny and he says, welcome home. Yes, I caught that as well. I love it. And I like the the idea that Pele has like given him a heads up. Like, oh, I'm going to be bringing three outsiders for you. We're definitely going to be able to sacrifice at least two of them. (laughs) And then I'm going to bring you someone who I think is going to be our May Queen. Like, I love that that's probably a conversation that they had in advance. Because Father Odd, he he says, he says, Pele has a great 
intuition <laughs> about people. He knows he's like Pele can, can really read people. Yeah, I I think at the very least he knew that she would want to join their colony because of how alone and miserable she is. There's some really interesting parallels between Pele and what is known as, or I guess I should say who, <laughs> a rude, is known as the Oracle in this village. They bring up the topic of incest, which Kate is so gross when you think about it. Um, this village is obviously going to be rife with it just due to how small it is. But um, this they they don't practice it traditionally except for producing oracles um and this results in these seriously deformed seriously mentally uh stunted people who they say are unclouded um i i don't know by what i guess by i mean it's it's so like i know eh, that's another topic right it's just so thoughtless about uh people with disabilities um but anyways these these guys are responsible for for basically providing the inspiration for scriptures whether or not this is really taken seriously by the elders i guess is up to debate but anyways the way that they record things is by painting and drawing um and this supposedly helps tell the future or you know tell give direction on where to take the clan um pele is is referenced as you know knowing people and being able to read people and he also draws he draws mm -hmm. throughout the whole intro he's always sketching in it in his little notebook he gives danny a portrait um i guess which could be foreshadowing her becoming the may queen um and I I just found that very interesting, uh, the way that's worked in early on in the story, and you don't really realize it until he becomes the sort of the oracle later, in a sense. Yeah, I think that's a really good connection and one that I hadn't thought of um, between Pele and the oracle. It's, um, it's really clever. I feel like the oracle in the movie is not my favorite part i think it's i think it's no. not really used or really established very well except to kind of show early on that there are things that are not really right in this community because the fact that mm -hmm. they they say oh and the only person who can write religious texts are our oracles and so we allow selective inbreeding to create these oracles um but then we still have people who aren't the result of inbreeding interpret these religious texts so <laughs> there's this kind of like hypocrisy <laughs> of like okay so you purposely allow for incest and inbreeding to create these oracles but then you have people who don't like still in charge of it so what's really the purpose there yeah it's silly but i yeah, I, I, I'm not really a fan of how the Oracle was used um, in this film either, especially later on when we see the Oracle confronting Josh wearing Mark's face. <laughs> I was just like, what does this have to do with being an Oracle? I feel like it's shock factor. And I'm like, I think, I think that we're yeah. 
I love this movie, but I really hate that they use a um, severely disabled person for shock factor. Like it's just doesn't feel like it's a well thought out or well developed piece of this movie, which bums me out. Like when I like whenever they like bring up those parts, which are not very long and kind of few and far between in this movie, I'm always like jarred. I'm just like, oh, that's right. There's this weirdly like ableist representation of like why people would purposely like breed into their community a disabled person it's just it's so strange i don't really get it yeah definitely one of the lower <laughs> points of this society <laughs> i really like um still kind of in the introduction to this town one of the themes um is up until like this point i think that there's the suggestion of this duality of academia and intellectualism um, as being a male quality um, because you've got the grad grad school assholes. um, And then you've got this kind of (laughs) the nature, emotional female represented in Danny because her apartment is full of plants and artwork with plants in it. Um, She has um, tons of stacks of books in her um, apartment that don't necessarily look like academic texts. And so you think like, oh, okay, this is kind of like a male versus female or like a intellectualism versus the natural world type of duality. But um, the the community in Sweden, um, the father odd, he starts off by talking about like addressing the fact that he's wearing this kind of formal like dress gown made of linen and embroidered and he says that it's to represent nature's hermaphroditic qualities and I loved that because I loved that it was like no things that are natural are not female things that are natural are human like having emotion and relating to nature and grieving and feeling joy like all of that is just a human experience and it's very toxic to try and say like, oh, men are naturally neutral beings who do not have emotions. Like that's not real. Like that's not a real thing. As I really appreciate that they did that um, kind of right away. Yeah, but there's no girls wearing pants. I know there are no girls wearing pants. So maybe it's another part of them. I was like, where's the pants? <laughs> Their dresses look very comfortable and pretty, though. <laughs> <laughs> they do yeah it's they say that it is like the hottest summer there in in a while right like 90 yeah. years or something um so that might be why but i i was like hey they're not wearing pants so it's funny because pele has made this drawing for danny for her birthday he gives it to her for her birthday because uh yeah mm-hmm. it's her birthday and christian has not said happy birthday to her so Pele does this really nice thing, actually, which is to tell Christian, hey, remember, it's your girlfriend's birthday. And Christian tries to give her this dumbass piece of like cake and the candle won't even stay lit when he gives it to her. I just thought that was it's so, so funny. It's so funny. It's so um, like, yeah, he is just not a good boyfriend. He planned. Th- and she makes excuses she for says- him. I forgot to remind him that it was my birthday. And I was like, girl, you have no standards. You have no standards for yourself. It doesn't have to be like this. Ugh. 
Like, I hate that she's, like, carrying the emotional labor of this relationship on top of her, like, fucked up psyche. Like, her her poor little brain has already gone through so much trauma, and then she has to go on top of that and, like, hand wave away the fact that her boyfriend planned a trip to Sweden that overlapped both her birthday and their four-year anniversary, which he forgot it was their four-year anniversary. Oh, my God. Ugh. There's this moment where they meet these two other outsiders that were brought in by another person. I forget his name. But anyway, um, and those two are, like, totally in love. They are engaged. They are holding hands. They're really happy to be together. And she is like, oh, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. Like, she's she's being friendly. And she brings that up and Christian just totally looks the other way. He's like, I want nothing to do with this conversation. Like, God, he sucks. God, he is so cold. I do appreciate that when Danny is around literally anyone else besides her boyfriend and his shithead friends, that she just like opens up and you see what kind of woman she would have been like outside of this relationship and what she may have been like before her family's death. And she is so like genuinely excited that they're engaged and like congratulates these people that she doesn't know. And she is really um, open to participating in some of the early rituals that they do. You know, she she does yeah. that walking backwards and picking a bouquet of flowers. Um, she is curiously watching how um, the women kind of walk around or how they um, are taking care of the babies and the children. It's just very like, she's like keen to it. She's very like naturally intrigued to be around these people and engage with other people. Yeah, and she takes it seriously and doesn't want to, you know, be rude about their customs. But she also just wants to fit in. She's like, yeah, I'll pick flowers backwards if it means you'll be my friend. Like, I feel like she's so starved for love that this is just, it's very natural for her to want to fit in, especially when everyone's so damn welcoming. They're so nice. nice. They tell her that she's beautiful and they're like, like everything she does, they're like, oh, what a good job. Like you're doing great. And it's like, yeah, it'd be really easy to be brainwashed into loving the society because Mm -hmm. they're so open and welcoming and loving towards you. And I've only ever like watched this movie being sympathetic towards Danny. I've only ever thought like that Christian is the worst and that Danny, Danny (laughs) deserves the entire world. And Mike brought up a really good point, which is that um, people are not welcoming to Christian in the same way. They're not complimenting him on being handsome. They're not inviting him to do rituals unless unless it's to have sex with their 15-year-old daughter. Like, they're, they're like, we're here to use you, and then we're going to dispatch of you. Like, they're very, like, functional about all of the men that are brought in. Um whereas they are very welcoming and very opening to Danny. Yeah, I feel like Pele must have warned them, like you said earlier, about, hey, here's what she has to offer, and these guys are kind of just trash. So 
we know what's going to happen to them. It, it feels that way in the way they deal with them. Yes, they're very... Um, the guys also set themselves up for this, though. Like, on the, like they mm-hmm. are not being, like, welcomed with open arms, but they're also not being deferent or even really trying. Danny is, like, she's trying to be a good guest. Like, she's learned how to say thank you in Swedish. Yeah. She's willing to go help with the food and help with the things around the village. Um, probably because she loves the positive reinforcement that she's getting for all of it. Um, but the guys are just kind of like, ah, oh, thanks. Like they don't even try. Like they're not even trying <laughs> to, to do anything to meet them in the middle. Do you remember this line? Um, so we're, we're meeting everybody and this woman is like, Oh, um, all the children are watching Austin Powers. Yes. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I I loved it as like a as like a nod to like the this is a it's a rural community, but they're not a hundred percent sheltered, maybe. <laughs> like, like how old is Austin Powers? <laughs> I mean, I was in high school, I think. Yeah. So it's almost so twenty funny. years. I don't I don't get it, but I, it's just one of those things where you're like, that's so fucking weird. It was so weird. <laughs> oh, my God. And there are so many rituals here. Um, there's that opening ceremony uh, where everyone is welcomed. They're dancing around, holding hands all over the place. The There's the dinner ceremony, which is very bizarre. Um, and then, like you said, the girls picking up flowers. There's just so many rituals in this place. Yeah, um, they I, they're all they're all aligned, and they're all like, okay, and then we're gonna do this ceremony, and then we're gonna do this ceremony, and then tomorrow morning, we gotta get up and get ready because there's the big ritual tomorrow. <laughs> and they're, now and things they're like, get really weird. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, what is it? And he's like, um, you'll see. And this is a very interesting thing about Pele is he doesn't explicitly lie the whole movie. Like if he's asked a question directly, um, he'll answer and he might answer in a way that like seems kind of joking, um, but it turns out to be the truth um, yeah. or, or if he doesn't know how to answer it without lying, um, he'll just kind of say like, oh, that's a little difficult. So um, we'll like get to it when we get to it tomorrow. You'll just have to see it to believe it. Pretty much. Oh yeah. I love when they go through the life cycle of a member of this community in, in quarters, right? It's, it aligns to the seasons. And after, uh, the age of 72, the, the, the late age, uh, the late part of one's life is, is considered winter, uh, you know, but it ends at 72 and they're like, well, what happens after 72? <laughs> And he just runs his finger across his neck, like, and they think he's joking. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really great foreshadowing to the next, to the next ritual we get to see. So things are about to get real, real. <laughs> They're not really told what's going on. Um, and after dinner the next day, um, they follow um, two of the elderly people, um, a man and a woman, um, out to the outskirts of the village. And all of the villagers, including, you know, Danny and Christian and Josh and Pele and the other outsiders, 
um, are all kind of standing at the base of this cliff and they're looking up at it and they're hearing the matriarch of the village is kind of calling out um, in Swedish. They don't understand it. Um, and she, uh, she drags some blood over a rune, which they can't see, but we as the audience can certainly see. Um, and then the um, older woman of the two elderly people, she steps forward and then throws herself off the cliff <laughs> onto a giant rock below, dying instantly. Oh, it's amazing. And and you get this really great close-up shot of her head just splattering against the rock. And it's the gore great. looks amazing. It's really it's realistic. It's like... It is. I love how I her eyeballs, know. like, hanging out. I don't know bones. how they did it. I was like... Every time I watch it, I'm like, how did you do this? This is wild. And, um, of course, all of the outsiders um, lose their shit. They're <laughs> not prepared to see people kill themselves in such a gory way. And um, Or at all, some, really. Yeah, there's some screaming. Um, I think Christian throws up. Um, Danny is just shocked and staring at it. And then the worst is when the old man throws himself because oh. he does not die on impact it's terrible the first the woman like does a does like a belly flop onto this rock and it and it takes her out but this guy drops down like a pencil so hello why. why would you choose that method shatters his leg shatters it and he is laying on the ground just like in agony and and his leg is just a fucking mess and this is so gross this is the first time you see the villagers do the i'm gonna call it empathetic mirroring i was just gonna say that yeah yeah empathy cry yeah yeah and um and where they are um responding like they are also in pain they're screaming and wailing like he is until um, the, I don't know, the leader comes forward with a big ass <laughs> mallet, like a big, like wily e. coyote acting yeah. mallet and just like gonks him in the head. <laughs> Smashes his face in. It's so gross. It's horrible. And, um, the other um, outsider couple, Simon and Connie, they can't deal. They are <laughs> no. so mad. They are screaming. They're screaming. And the matriarch, I like appreciate that she comes forward and she's like, she's like, you might not understand this, but this is how we do things here. And this is what they wanted. Like we didn't force anyone to do this. This is how people die in our society. We volunteer to die before pain and sickness and death come to us like we take ownership over death and they're still like this place is fucked we're getting out of here and they make plans to leave the next day which i was like how come Mm. danny and christian and josh are not like we should also get out of here if they're willing to do these weird death rituals i thought that was a weird choice too 
Um, what I really liked about the matriarch's speech here is she talks about their life cycle. She talks about when people end their lives, they are reborn into the next generation, right? So they'll they'll take a baby and name it after somebody who has died. That like this is as if the spirit or the soul has transferred into their body. And you see this throughout the whole movie, like this idea of an of inheritance. Um, from one generation to the next, um, it, it ties into how they all feel connected um, empathetically and why they have this shared cry and they share these emotions. You even see it in the dinner scene earlier. Um, the shape of the table setting is actually a, a rune that that corresponds to inheritance. And even the way they set down their plates, it's like a trickle down from the eldest to the youngest mm-hmm. at the table setting. It's it's so cool the way that's all integrated into their culture, like at every level. Mm-hmm. It's they so really fun. are all shared. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Yeah, there's so much intention behind everything that's done in this movie. It's like not only is it the ceremony around eating and this and the order in which things are carried out but it's the intention of how Pele explains the art in the rooms and the way that he chooses to not explain certain things like every <laughs> everything is very very carefully set up in this society it's just very very well executed yeah but back to Simon and Connie. When Simon was freaking out in the crowd, weren't weren't she like nervous? It made me so nervous. Yeah, there was part of me. There's a weird like response I had to it internally, where I was like, "You're being a bad guest, Simon." Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like they're gonna get you next. <laughs> like, watch out. This is this is obviously a very serious ceremony that everyone here is a hundred percent in on. Like, and you're not. And so maybe you just need to like lay low and get out yeah. of there the next day. Like you obviously haven't seen a horror movie before, Simon. Like <laughs> freaking out is not going to be the thing that gets you out of here alive. Yeah. And we already have this weird sort of relationship with him on screen. There was this really weird moment earlier when we met him where the guy who brought them to this community is like, oh, I used to date Connie. And Connie is like, um, no, we didn't. We did not date. We were friends. Yeah, and it, it makes it me was... wonder if he was hoping that she was a potential May Queen. For yeah, him. yeah, yeah. It was kind of, kind of subtly creepy. And now, and now Simon is also, you know, putting himself on display for the entire town to see him freak out. It just seems like he's not in a very good position right now. Yeah, this the situation with Ingemar is a nice contrast to Pele because Pele brought in outsiders um, where, you know, one of his outsiders is, spoiler alert, our May Queen. One <laughs> of them is used for uh, diversifying the gene pool and the other two are used as outsider sacrifices. And so that is, you know, checking all the boxes. Um, whereas Ingemar brought in Simon and Connie, um, Connie is not down. She is not in it 
like Danny is to become May Queen status. She is not kind of integrating in as easily. Um, and uh, Simon is also, he just like wants to leave. And so I do appreciate that that kind of shows again, like Pele is good at reading people, like maybe better than other people in the village. And also potentially a reason why Ingemar volunteer ends up maybe volunteering to self-sacrifice at the end. Yeah, he probably feels bad about his bad choices. Yeah, he brought in bad people who didn't end up really doing anything for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Danny again goes to cry after this alone, of course. Um, and it's a really good cry. Like she has so many different types of crying in this movie and she's so great at all of them. And then we really get to see Christian being a fucking douche, like ultimate douche next. What does he do next? He he is now, after seeing this horrific death scene, now he's deciding, okay, let me go back a little bit. Christian has no idea what to do with his life. He has been dragging his feet on his thesis. He drags his feet with his girlfriend that he wants to dump. He waits to tell the truth to people. You know, he is just such a loser. And now... He has decided, oh, I think I'm going to do my thesis on the same group of people that my friend who has actually been working on his thesis and has been thoughtful about it and devoted himself to. I'm just going to copy him. I'm just going to do the same thing. And he goes up to his friend in the in the barn where they all sleep. And is like, oh, hey, I just wanted to let you know before I tell anyone else that I'm doing this. And also, by the way, I did tell someone else, <laughs> which he finds he, out later. He makes it seem like he's doing him a favor by saying, like, I want to tell you first that I'm also going to hone in on the thing that you've already decided that you're going to do. And it's just I I really do appreciate that Josh calls him out on his shit. Yes. He's like you are a liar. You don't know what you're doing. You already knew that I was going to do this. Um, you can't just um, creep in on the work that I've already been doing because you don't know what to do with yourself. And just because this has now gotten interesting here to decide that you're going to do it. And Christian's just like, well, if you're going to be like that, then I'm just going to go talk to Pele on my own. And he just like stomps off. But he's the worst. He's, he is so bad in this scene. Yeah, he sucks. Uh, this is like, I think, the apex of of his douchery, this scene. <laughs> his extreme douchery. <laughs> yeah. What happens next? We we get to see a pyre. Uh, yeah, we get the pyre. Um, we have, um, ooh, a, a fun little secret moment between Danny and Pele where Pele goes to comfort Danny because she's like, because Danny's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to get out of here. And Pele, he knows that she just needs to be seen. She needs to have her emotions validated and she's not getting that from her horrible boyfriend. And so he sits with her and he holds her hand and just him holding her hand, she's like, stop, Christian might see. Like, because she's getting... She's getting so much just from him touching her that she feels like uncomfortable. And 
because it's not an unusual situation where if you're really freaked out or really grieved by something that someone might put their hand over yours. Like he wasn't trying to like kiss her or anything. He's just putting his hand on hers and she's like, put. she's like, oh, this is making me like uncomfortable if Christian were to see this. Anyway, he is, he asks her, does Christian feel like home to you? Do you feel held by him? And like, those are the questions that I think like really turn Danny against Christian. I think that after that moment, she's just like, am I being held by you? Every time she looks at him, she's like, would you hold me? I don't she's think she's really considering me. it. Yeah. yeah. Every time she looks at you, you can see it on her face that she's like, I don't think you would be there for me if I needed you to be there for me. Yeah. She even tells him at one point um, because Simon ends up disappearing and, and they're made to believe that he kind of ran off without Connie. She's like, I think you would do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not wrong. <laughs> no, because he, da- he fucking would. Danny has a dream about it too. She has this vision of being abandoned by her American friends. And uh, it's really freaky. And it feels real. And like she is, she's got some mild insomnia. And so she's taking, you know, sleeping pills while she's there. Um, and, and like, kind of like we mentioned earlier, there's so much substance going on in this movie when it comes to people inhaling things or drinking tea or Danny taking these sleeping pills. She just kind of always has something in her system mm-hmm. that is maybe altering her judgment a little bit. Yeah. So now it's the next day. Connie is alone. Uh, Simon has has disappeared and she's made to believe that he left her, but is waiting for her at the train station. Christian, of course, doesn't care. He, He has like every time something happens that is like questionable. He's just like, oh, well, it is what it is like. He is just undeterred from benefiting from the situation. An alarming lack of critical thought coming from a grad student in anthropology. Like, it's just, <laughs> it, it's just so, like, like, Simon's gone. Danny, like, clues into it immediately. She's like, but they were engaged. Why would he leave without his fiance? Like, he cares about her. Right. And she's not like you. <laughs> yeah, and Christian's just like, Oh, people do that. And she's like, do people do that? They shouldn't do that. Like she's starting to like clue into like the things that are hand waved away as like shitty male behavior is not normal and shouldn't be normal. And so she's like, what happened to Simon? And so she does ask one of the women in the village, like, oh, what happened to Simon? And they have their story locked into place. (laughs) They are all on the same line. (laughs) Yeah. So this part in the movie is actually where a really important, I think, I kind of wish they had kept it, um, scene from the director's cut where we get a little hint about what's going to happen to Connie. Um, I'll I'll quickly summarize it for you, Kate. But basically, there's a ritual at night where they're going to go drown a child. Nope. To sacrifice okay. <laughs> for, for uh, yeah, for this festival. And they changed their minds about it, luckily. Um, 
And what's interesting about that scene is what the child is wearing. He's wearing like a mesh, almost like a chain mail out of like vines and plants and flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And we do see that later on Connie in in the big pyramid. So they end up not killing killing the little boy. We'll we'll come back to this, but um, I, I think that is important to to have uh, at least to have seen what he's wearing. Also, in this scene is just more affirmation about what a shithead Christian is. He actually, um, okay, he actually blames Danny for making him feel bad for picking him flowers. She picks him flowers, and he's like. <sighs> Did you just pick me flowers so that I'd feel guilty about not getting you anything for your birthday? Like, he literally says this to her. And I was just I, like, are you he, kidding me? <laughs> yeah, she tries to do something nice. And he's like, he is so narcissistic that he's like, the only reason why someone would do something nice for someone else is to make them feel guilty. Like, what an emotional response to that. Like, I just can't get over like only ever reading negative intentions into any action that anyone does to you. Like it just shows that any action that you would have towards someone else is um, because you're trying to get something out of them. I don't know. It's just, it's so cruel and horrible. And this is why I think the ending is totally justified with what happens. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be so triggered when you watch it. It's terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, But the next day, so now we're back on track and uh, Mark, Mark pulls a stunt where he goes and pisses on some dead tree that apparently is like all of their ancestors and everyone freaks out. Um, in in the director's cut, this is also, you know, where Christian walks over after this happens. Christian walks over to uh, Danny and she again apologizes for last night <laughs> for oh what gosh. happened. Um, but yeah, we we Mark has this horrible interaction with the townspeople and you're like, uh oh, Mark's next. Mark is the next Simon. <laughs> He's pissed everyone off. Yes. And I mean he made a mistake. He needed to take a leak. And he's like, um, there's this giant ancient felled tree over here that's covered in ash. Looks like garbage. <laughs> I can probably pee on it and it's fine. Um, so he does. And then they freak out on him and they're like, you don't understand. This is where we put the ashes of all of our dead. Not just some of their dead, all of their dead's ashes go onto this tree. It's their sacred ancestral tree. And instead of him immediately profusely apologizing, he gets angry and defensive and like, what do you care if I pee on your stupid tree kind of attitude? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you are going to get skinned, Mark. Like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> You're a dick. Yeah. We also, in this scene here, um, not this scene, but but right after this scene, all of our main characters hear this distant screaming that sounds like a woman screaming. And I, I think this is Connie. I think this is when Connie gets it. Probably. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. But they don't really show it. You just hear it. No. And then she's gone. You don't see her anymore in the movie. Yeah. They're being picked off. We don't know um explicitly what happens to mark 
we know that he follows a woman off and then they don't see him and they're just kind of like Mark's being Mark and it's only when Josh who is felled by his own hubris at Mm -hmm. this point he's like if my thesis is going to be better than Christian's thesis I need to get access to the sacred texts because that's going to be my my shoe in and so he sneaks into the chapel um at during the like half hour of nighttime (laughs) that they have (laughs) and it's like not even full nighttime it's like just a little bit dimmer than it normally is um so he sneaks into the chapel and is taking pictures with his phone of this and he looks up and he sees what he thinks is mark and um he gets a he gets a clobbering to the head um right as he realizes that um it's not mark it is um our oracle wearing a mark skin suit (laughs) for some reason it's so good it's very chainsaw massacre yeah (laughs) it is very texas chainsaw massacre you're right (laughs) yeah so so everybody's everybody's dying and we've also we haven't we kind of missed this but there's this really really gross obvious scene um where they're at dinner and Christian gets this very special pie and mm, a, special uh, pie <laughs> special <laughs> pie and and special juice <laughs> whatever it is um it, i remember seeing this the first time um and you just see it immediately the color of his drink is different than the color of everybody else's drink everyone and his pie gets delivered every- separately oh yeah. my gosh everyone else has orange juice and it looks like he has like a guava red yeah like <laughs> and i was like oh it's that love story <laughs> oh yeah and he um he takes a bite of the meat pie um and he pulls the hair out and his friends are immediately like that's a pube like they just like no they like immediately they're like there's a pube in that it's so gross it's super gross um she's got to be like 15 right maybe 16 yeah i I, they they can't be that old it must be like right after they have their period or something that they're deemed allowed to have sex (laughs) Yeah, so this um this girl Maya who looks like Wentz. I don't know if you if you guys out there watch football. She looks like the the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch football, but I am going to trust you 100%. Yeah, on that. You're going to have to look up Wentz. <laughs> um Pele even kind of lays some groundwork where he tells Christian, "Yeah, she was just approved to have sex starting last year." Um, and, uh, some other people kind of are like, oh yeah, she's got her eye on you. Like they're really priming Christian for like, she likes you, she's into you and she's allowed to have sex. Like this is a normal thing for us that she has sex. And he asks them about, um, inbreeding at one point, he's like, what do you guys do about your small gene pool? And they're like, oh, we bring in outsiders to diversify the gene pool. They were so upfront with him about it that it's just kind of baffling that he doesn't like, maybe he willfully doesn't want to acknowledge that he's probably going to have sex with this teenage girl, but that's where we're heading to. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's funny because this whole society is like, 
uh, everything is shared. So there are no real couples. It, it, you know, they, they don't respect the fact that Christian and Danny are dating. I mean, it's not like they have a great relationship, but they still are technically dating. And they're just like, whatever. He, we want him to have sex with Maya. So that's what's going to happen. I have to imagine it's because in their society, there's not a sense of ownership. Everything's communal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where Danny asks a woman like, oh, how, how old is she? Is she yours? And the woman goes, oh, no, her mom is out on pilgrimage. Um, all of us raise the babies here. And so it's good for them to de- to detach when they're young. Um, and so I was like, oh, even with like, the babies they want to make sure that they don't rely too much on any one person they really want everyone to belong to everyone and so I do wonder if they're like oh relationships don't mean anything like marriage doesn't mean anything because we all belong to each other well oh boy now I think we're down to two we have Christian and Danny left and these two are are really no longer protected by their outsidership. You know, they're they're kind of the beginning of the movie. They're kind of left outside of all these rituals, and they're not forced to really partake in anything. But now it's just the two of them, and they split them up. And Danny goes with the women to do women things. Yep, which I think she enjoys. And uh, Christian gets taken away uh to do whatever it is he's doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh the one of the first things that um danny does is participates in the maypole dancing contest um and i really love this um they dress her in like the traditional clothes they give her the flower crown they give her a little bit of mushroom tea um and the the goal is to dance and whoever's the last one standing is crowned the May queen. And she is like, she seems apprehensive, but she gets into it and she must be tripping super hard because she gets to a point where she starts speaking and understanding Swedish. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, she's just in it now. She's just part of them. (laughs) wants to be part of this group so badly. It makes total sense that she would win. Like, she's just trying so freaking hard to fit in. Of course she wins. She wins the the dance-off and (laughs) gets crowned May Queen. And again, is uh, kept separate from Christian. Christian is alone at this point. Even even Danny is part of this group now at this point. Yeah, after she wins the May Queen, um, they put a cape over her and they are... um, celebrating her um and there's this amazing moment where as she's walk as she's going through the crowd she thinks she sees her mom and she has this like panic on her face when she has this vision of her mom and you feel like for a second there that she might start to spiral but then she's so surrounded by this new community who are telling her you're our family now, like you're part of us, you're our May Queen, that she she can't spiral. She can't spiral anymore. She's just like 
too embraced by them to actually go into this grief spiral that she's so used to falling into. Yeah. Meanwhile, Christian is tripping balls because they've been lacing him uh, to prime him to to have sex with Maya. <laughs> and he yeah. is a mess. <laughs> he is a mess. And he's like, he even tries to turn down the tea and they're like, no, 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 you'll like it. And it's all engineered so that when Danny is sent off to go do her May Queen duties to bless the crops or whatever, <laughs> that they're <laughs> that they're like, this is our perfect opportunity to um, have the most awkward sex scene in the history oh, of sex man. scenes. Genuinely a hilarious moment in this movie. It's bizarre. And it's funny because it's not even the worst part of this civilization. Like, I was like, all right, even this I could put up with. Um, but it's it's like eh, barely over the line. So, and, yeah. yeah, how do we how do we pick this apart? So everything they do is communal. They grieve together. They eat together. They dance together and they sleep together when they and they sleep together. And when they have sex. Um, it is in a very particular communal way. So I think the implication here is that this is Maya's first time having sex. Um, she is, um, uh, like laid out very ceremonially on a bed very of American beauty <laughs> yeah, on a bed of flowers in a barn surrounded by naked women of the town. Of all ages and all, all body ages. shapes. Yep. It's all just very like holistic. And they lead Christian in um, and take and, like take off his robe. And um, they're just kind of like, all right, go have sex with her. Like the women are like <laughs> singing behind her. And um, as he starts to have sex with her, Maya kind of like, reaches this part this fucking part <laughs> so fucking she like re she like reaches up towards one of the women and the woman's like oh i'll come help you and so she comes down <laughs> and grabs her hand and starts singing right next to her as christian's having sex with her and the funniest part of this movie is the look on christian's face for like a solid 10 seconds he's just like what is happening here as he's fucking maya <laughs> and and it's you know when i saw it the first time i was like oh it was very shocking but yeah. i was also like you know it's it, you grow up with it so you'd be used to it and in a way it's kind of beautiful like it's very comforting and you're not alone and it's not scary and everybody is there for you. Like she's supported. It's, like, yeah. It's, like they're going to guarantee that she's having a safe, good time. Like, can you like imagine in this society, like someone trying to rape someone else, they treat sex as like a part of the community and so I was like yeah there's something about this especially the fact that it's all women like it feels very oriented around let's make sure the woman in this situation is comforted and protected and cared for it's very bizarre and like not anything yes. <laughs> anyone should ever want to do or have to do um, but I was like if this were an alternate reality I could see why people would maybe be okay with this <laughs> 
comforting. Um, but yeah, it's it's very strange. I, I also wonder what it's like giving birth in this community. I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> I think that it would be so hard because like, or maybe not, who knows? Like, who knows? Because when you're in pain in this community, people scream your pain back oh at you so God. that you feel acknowledged. And I just feel like giving birth would be like a multi-day ordeal of people screaming around <laughs> you. <laughs> I don't know. I It would be, I wonder if Ari Aster like, thought about it and then it was just like that's too much for this movie like we gotta just like we have to leave something out (laughs) yeah and it's already like approaching three hours especially with the director's cut but my favorite part in this scene is when the women decide that christian's taking too long and this old ass woman like comes around behind him and puts her hands on his ass and just helps shove his dick into maya's (laughs) snatch like over and over it is so bizarre it's so bizarre it's the it's like terrible it's so funny though it's like it's super funny it's the whole thing as you're watching it you're just like am I watching what I'm watching right now like I don't understand um and this is a great movie to get high to by the way (laughs) the comedy of this like scene is like totally undercut when Danny comes back and she hears this ritualistic moaning coming from the barn and she's like what's going on in there and I do like that no one tries to stop her they're just like you're probably not gonna like that and she's like (laughs) well I want to go see and so she goes and looks and she just freaks out and um she goes into one of her, like, she tries to retreat. She tries to retreat and go into her, like, alone time sobbing period. And the women are like, no, you're going to fucking deal with this with us here. Yeah, and they don't let her. They don't let her run from them. They stay with her and they cry with her. And it's, like, animalistic and it's, like, primal. But she like expresses more emotion through this that when she's done, she's like done. She's like, it's like, I don't know, exercised from her body in a way like this, like this pain is just like gone from her through this. Yeah. They do some really interesting um, things with their, with the sounds that they make in this community you know the even the crying sounds like a chant almost the way that they echo her together they mm-hmm. also do a lot of like like breathing yeah they do that a lot so, breath is so important in this movie anytime they're kind of gearing themselves up to do something they do this like like it's very physical it's like a physical way of like being i don't know mentally preparing yourself to do something I like yeah. that they like bring the physical in with the mental yeah it's it's like are they are they connecting with each other through their breath it feels like they connect they use it as a as a form of connection or um some sort of communication it also sounds very sexual to me like the first time I heard it I thought it sounded like you're panting from fucking 
Like that's immediately what my what my brain heard. And I don't know if I'm right or not, but that's how I sort of interpreted it. I, I wasn't sure what to make of it, though. It's just interesting, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm know. sure I there's don't... a reason. I just I can't think of one. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. I think that I thought of it as like, yeah, that kind of mental physical connection. Um, I know that in some spiritual practices that um, the act of breathing is considered like an act of prayer. Um, mm. So in uh, Judaism, Yahweh um, is the yah in the way is the inhale and exhale, the yah in way exhale. And so that um, like every breath you take is a prayer. Um, and so I don't know if there's any connection to that. I mean, this is in Sweden, um, so probably not. <laughs> but I was like, okay, there. I know that there are some spiritual practices that relate um, God or spirituality to breath. And then this kind of like community where they're really, really interrelating um, emotional response with physical response to things. Then they're just like, the breath is a connection to that. It's kind of how I interpreted it. Mm. Um, but uh, the second funniest part in this movie is probably <laughs> definitely when um, Christian is running around with his floppy penis. Um, <laughs> after, after realizing what has just happened. After realizing that he just came in a 15-year-old girl and she's like rocking her body and claiming that she can feel a baby in her already. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh my god and so he runs and he's like he's in this like weird mushroom panic haze and he just starts realizing that he's seeing like dead things around him he sees his friend's leg sticking out of the earth which is really bizarre i mean i understand that they're going for like an earth water fire you know very elemental um deaths like represented by each of the of the of the deaths in this in this piece of the movie but like why is his leg sticking out (laughs) you think they'd want to hide it this is the part of the movie where the everything about this community feels so intentional and then we have entered into the point of bizarre traditions they're not going to stop and take the time to explain to us they're just like, they're just like, yes. yeah, this is all stuff that we do and we got to keep it moving. So we're not going to spend the time explaining to you why we put Josh's leg in the <laughs> earth or why we did the red eagle torture oh my God. to Simon. The blood eagle. It's just blood eagle, horrifying. And Simon, yeah, like, so uh, Christian like runs into this chicken coop and sees Simon. <laughs> strung up in in the blood eagle you know with his lungs basically taken out through his ribs and he's still breathing his lungs are breathing it's so gross it's so horrifying to christian to see this and he is stunned and one of the men from the village comes up and blows this powder into his face and says don't worry 
You're not going to be able to move. <laughs> you're not going to be able to talk. And this is the point where if you were Christian, you'd be like, I'm fucked. I'm totally fucked. I just saw the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I just had sex with their 15-year-old daughter. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's a goner now. And he, yeah, it takes him so long to get it. Um, it does. They go through this ritual of um, showing the children how you disembowel a bear <laughs> so that you can put a man inside <laughs> of it. <laughs> and meanwhile, um, this is total end game here. Like we're, we're wrapping up the movie here. It's explained to Danny that as the May queen, um, she will oversee the sacrifices that are being made for this year's Midsommar. And they explained to us that they've already sacrificed um, two of their elderly, um, plus Simon and Connie, plus Josh and Mark. Um, they need to get to nine people. And so they have two more villagers that they're going to offer up. And then they ask Danny to choose between a random villager and her boyfriend. <laughs> <of four> <laughs> the look on her face, poor Danny. She is so distraught because she already knows. She must have known for some period of time that this random villager is going to beat out her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> he is last on the list. Yeah, so. He is last on the list. He is now sewn into the bear suit and can't move, can't you know, do anything. His face is just like wide-eyed and just crazed looking. He looks so scared and it's so great because he can't say anything. He's stuck now. He's he's stuck dealing with his own choices finally at the end of it all. And they're all, so they, they arrange everybody in this pyramid that we've seen in the movie. We haven't seen what's inside yet. It's him, it's our effigies, it's it's our living, willing sacrifices as well, who are given, like, some drugs, and, and supposedly it's going to help them get through this, this burning that they're about to endure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they light it up. They light it up. And uh, turns out those drugs don't really no for them. It still seems pretty painful and pretty scary. Yeah, and they scream. And so, what does everyone outside do? Uh, they do the mirroring again. And and Danny, she. This is the iconic scene we were talking about at the beginning. She is, she's mirroring like like she is in it now she is participating fully she's letting her past burn with christian and as she feels herself like let him go she just gets this beautiful smile on her face and that's it that's our now she's home she's home she's found her new home it's so good Good. and and christian got what he deserved damn it (laughs) he's such a dick 
Yeah, what a nice ending. It's such a nice ending. And and you really get the sense that she's going to be okay. I mean, she's going to be in this bizarre community probably the rest of her life, but she is going to feel good. Which is all she really was asking for. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. Yeah, Till she gets it's 72. A <laughs> it's a good ending for Danny until she um has to voluntarily sacrifice herself or maybe <laughs> kill an outsider or participate in some inbreeding. You know, it's not an ideal place for her, but it's definitely better than <laughs> the situation she was in before. She didn't need to get a graduate degree in psychology. She's fine. <laughs> yeah, she can just she can just have babies with random villagers and have a giant ass family now. So, Kate, like we do in all our episodes this season, uh, we have our question of the episode. Um, and audience, if you uh, decide to respond to this question on our episode post before the end of the season and share a post, we will send you a free sticker for this episode. It's the Mayflower crown. Kate. Yes. Who do you think had the better meltdown? Tony Collette or Florence Pugh? Tony Collette. I Really? I like Midsommar as a movie better, but I think that Tony Collette's absolute hysterical horrifying face that she makes is like gold standard. It's so good. What do you think? Yeah, I I was going to actually I do love when she breaks down when Charlie dies. But um I I really appreciate Florence and all of her various types of of meltdowns in this movie. I really feel like she captures this range of types of dealing with grief and types of crying and you know crying where you let it wail and crying where it's stifled and crying where you try to hide it or or crying where you're sharing it with people she has to like cover all these different types of grief and uh, I just I was so mesmerized by it this last time you know paying more attention to it just god that is good acting god she she gets it right every time and every time is is a different kind of cry. Um, I I thought her breaking down after her parents was was really great. It it felt so real. It felt like like she was on the verge of death, you know, just like Tony Collette. Um, but I just feel like Florence had so many more opportunities in this movie and a uh, different range of types of crying. So I'm gonna go with Florence. I'm gonna go with Midsummer. Yeah, I think it's good. I think they're both really good movies and really good performances. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from our listeners who they think has the better meltdown. Leave a comment. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. Get a sticker. Get <laughs> we are on our penultimate movie. We only have one more movie that we're doing for this season. And then, of course, our season three finale. So make sure you listen to all of our episodes for this season. If you play along with our game, you've got until mid-December 
to play along and get a free sticker. You don't want to miss out. These stickers are amazing. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast. And follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Happy watching. Is that a fucking pube? Ew. It's just there. Yeah, a pubic hair.